Hello and a warm welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Gore, Group CEO here at EMG Health, and we have a very special guest joining us today on our podcast. As you'll be aware, some of our guests are senior pharmaceutical executives, some are leadership and mindset coaches, and, and every now and again we try and invite an internationally recognised figure from somewhere like the arts, business or sport, all with the aim of helping us learn from the best. And today really is a chance to learn from the very best. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Sir Clive Woodward. If you're a rugby fan, you'll know Sir Clive played international rugby for England in the 1980s, as well as completing two British and Irish Lions tours. In 2006, he joined the British Olympic Association as the Team GB's Director of Sport to support the coaches and athletes and went on to deliver Team GB's most successful Olympic Games at London 2012. But perhaps best known, I should say, as the head coach who led the England rugby team to a World Cup victory in Australia 2003. He's a thought-provoking speaker, a popular and respected commentator, a contributor to ITV, to Sky and the BBC, and he's now sharing his experiences at being at the very top of elite sport with businesses all over the world for his keynote speeches, his workshops and his executive coaching programmes. So Clive, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you, Spencer. I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Great stuff. Well, I, I'll start with a topic that I know is, is uh, very, very uh, keen to, for both of us. Bang on time. Let's start with a question on timekeeping. So I know that punctuality is very important to you, but can you tell me why something like this is, is, is something that's so important and should be taken more seriously? And, and what does it communicate? And, and, and tell us a little bit about what Lombardi time is. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, first of all, thank you for your kind, kind words and your um, introduction. I, I think also just for everyone listening, um, before becoming the head coach of the England rugby team, I had 16 years in business. I, I, when I left university, I worked for Xerox for eight years, including five in Australia, where I was the, the sales director. And when, we, when we came back from Australia, I set up my own small leasing and finance company. When I say small, it was based on the, the skills I learned with Xerox Finance. But I ran that for eight, eight years. When I say small, it was around 10 people. And a lot of these um, kind of standards, I really learned from running my own small business. So it's not theory. And what I, what I learned from that, that small company was just the importance of time and timekeeping. Um, I think I probably got it also. My, 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 my dad was in the, uh, the services. My dad was in the, in the Air Force, a pilot. He was always absolutely right to give up time and timekeeping. And I've always had it. But I think, you know, when you're looking seriously at time, I, I think it generally does, you know, I can't think of anything more that says more about an individual or team of people than their respect for time and being on time. And timekeeping, Spencer, isn't just being on time, it's finishing on time. Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually understanding that, that my time is valuable. I'm in control of my diary. So, you know, with my small kind of leasing company, which had 10 people, we just started to create these kind of, uh, I, I call it the culture, but just a lot of winning behaviours. Yeah, and we started to discuss time, and and we had a, a clear understanding of what time time meant, and the importance of time, and what it actually rep- represented. And the, the the key thing is on on time is it's not just you know I was in charge of the business, but I'd get everybody to really contribute. In other words, I need to know your thoughts as well. I need everyone in the in my team to really buy into this, understand it, and agree with this. If you didn't agree with this, don't 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 get involved in it. But and I've, I've always used it, you know, and, and, and then when with, with, the, with the rugby team, for example, did the same thing. We, when I was lucky enough to take over the rugby team, not running a small business, I must say my, my leasing company was about 10 people at our height. 
and we were just all the same level. We were taking on the big banks and finance, all this stuff. The rugby team, you know, we, if you had you know, the players, coaches, staff, about 50 people, so a small business, basically. Yeah. One of the first things, I just sat down with the whole team and said, right, I want to get some really, some understanding about the importance of time. I don't want to, in every meeting, leave the meeting to go, don't be late, don't be late, or be on time. So I got the team to discuss time, and I kind of set the scene as the, the head coach or the boss, and I got them to just... just um, discuss time. I said, I want to know your definition of time. And they were they were great. And this is why the team that won in 2003, I mean, they were awesome on the pitch, but they were also awesome off the pitch. Yeah. The none more than Martin Johnson, who kind of got this, he, he, you know, because I said, we want to be the world's best team and win World Cups and all this stuff. We've got to be world-class on the field of play, but equally got to be world-class off the field of play in terms of the way we operated. So I got them to discuss time without me in the room. I literally left the room, left them to it. I said, I want, you to, I want to know your, your, your views on time and all this stuff. So I set the scene. And I remember Johnson came back to me and he, and he said, look, we, we, get, we get this. Thanks for involving us. And it's rather than telling you, we can involve them. And he said, you know, we think in a, in a sporting context, we can be 10 minutes early for any meeting. So if you call a meeting, you know, to start this morning at nine o'clock, we'll be here ready to go at 10 to nine. So the, the key thing then I can look at this and say, do I agree this or not agree this? Well, so I'm going to agree it. And that was it. So you know, every time I had a meeting, the players all turned up 10, 10 minutes early. Then we started to actually name these sort of things, and we called this Lombardi time. And Lombardi is a very famous American football coach called Vince Lombardi. Yeah. And so we named it Lombardi time. And, and I, I promise you, you know, 20 years, 25 years later, you meet any England player who was involved with me, anybody, just go Lombardi time, and they'll go 10 minutes early if you've heard Clive speak. Yeah. No one was ever late because they had been involved in the, in the discussion. They knew how important it was. And I said, you know, and I was also going to try and finish on, on time. And all this stuff. It just, it just to me, Spencer just shows huge respect, huge understanding, the importance of people's time, and it's just kind of you know. And then you get a whole load of these kind of cultures or behaviours that say create a winning, winning, a winning culture, and we call it Lombardi time. And it's and I've used it ever since. And in the interest of with these kind of the, the modern kind of Zoom calls or Microsoft calls or Teams calls. Yeah. In, in my team, because I'm still running various businesses now. You know, the timekeeping for long, for for a conference call, so let's say on Zoom, is two minutes early. Yeah. So I'm saying to our, our team, we've all agreed this, face-to-face meetings, we still try and arrive 10 minutes early to try and have a chat, a coffee, and a catch-up. But if it's on Zoom, it's two minutes early. Because, again, you don't want to be – you can't start a Zoom call if you've got people coming. If everyone's going to be a second late. But I said, don't get on a second early. Get on two minutes early because that gives you time to have a chat with everyone, and we go from there. Yeah. So that's it. It's just timekeeping, and it's such an important part of it. And it, I, I think it says more about any individual than anything I can say. If if they are, you know, respect your time, and let's just, let's face it. How can you trust or respect someone who can't even be bothered to be on time for you? Yeah. No. Great. Great point. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it, you, you were talking there about the, the 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 team of players you had in that in that that World Cup winning team, and 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 saying that they were great on the pitch and off the pitch. So. Tell us a bit more about the, the off-the-pitch stuff. So I, I remember seeing a photograph of some of these you know, huge, great big players when, when laptops were really just sort of first coming out. And, uh, and, and, and I heard you talking about it, and you said that whoever wins in IT wins, or tends to win, I think. Can you share with us what you mean about that, please? Yeah, sure. This, def- this definitely came purely from my, my, my business background. You know, I, so I worked for Xerox for eight years, and they were fantastic in in those days, their training was brilliant. Yeah, and they were great. You know, uh, obviously a photocopy company, but a lot more than that. Their 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 ability to use 
tech technology was fantastic. So, you know, and I've always been pretty cool with technology. Um, you know, my, my small leasing company, you know, the, the, our main product, we, 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 are, we are financing computer equipment, basically. Yeah. So we, we would go to a dealer and put in finance plans to make them easier for them to sell their products to, you know, to the end user by putting in finance plans for them. And, and you know, a lot of it was based around um, tech, tech, technology. And I have this saying, whoever wins in IT ten, tends to win. And, you know, um, sport is no different than business. You know, so when I took over the rugby team, uh, I promise you, less than five percent of the team had a clue how to use a laptop computer. <laughs> I mean, the, the players from Leicester, my club, couldn't spell laptop computer. <laughs> but this was going to be quite challenging. Um, but I, you know, and I, I had this saying: "You have wins in IT tends to win." I got this across to the players because a lot of the stuff we were doing in terms of, you know, the, the team and the analysis of the team and how we were playing was all based on, you know, video and technology and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. We went on this big training thing with the, with the players. In other words, you know, I, I brought in some of the very best trainers everywhere we went around the world. I'd bring in trainers, 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 because I wanted to up, upskill them. You know, and most of them, I'd say 90 percent of them really got it. I'm thought, yeah, great, we want to we want to do this. Because what I was trying to say to them, if you want to leverage your talent, you can't not get involved in, in the technology world because it's, it, they will be based on data and all this sort of stuff. You know, so we, we you know, we, we kind of went on this big program and, you know, there were, there were some casualties at, at the time. I, I promise you, I was absolutely ridiculed by the media. Yeah. As you say, all these tough nut rugby players, Johnson, Delalio, Leonard, these guys. Yeah. Walking in the hotels, kind of laptop computers. I, I can see the, the press, some of the press now, you know, you know, what on earth is he doing? What's a laptop computer got to do with playing rugby? Uh, why is he giving? Why is he not giving them more raw meat? Was one of my favourite headlines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the reason I do it quite simply was whoever wins in IT tends to win. But what I was also trying to find out really quickly were which players did have the, the capacity to put themselves out into just many awkward positions to expose themselves really, because some of them literally never seen a, a laptop before in their lives before, and we really got them involved in it. And but it, it, it just it allowed me to you know I knew what great players there were on the field of play, but I wanted to see which players could really go for this and really take the training seriously and we became really good at this and the rest is history and also you know some of the programs we were using as coaches because the players had the it skills allowed them to kind of engage in this you know so it wasn't just all these analysis looking at all this data we got players to look at the data get them to start studying the game you know and, and that's just one part of this but you know does i can't think of probably anything to do with the high performances hasn't got some sort of um technology involved in it so and I just think you've got to get your team involved in it because the players are playing, you know, and they just don't want to be told by coaches this is what we're going to do. They want to understand why we're doing it and if they've got the technology skills. And the players loved it, by the way, you know. And I want to say, you know, literally anywhere in the world I went, I tried to bring the best trainers. So we'd be in Australia. I'd find out a local, you know, training company for, for technology or, or laptops and bring them in and just do ongoing lessons and lessons and lessons. And, and you see players now, you know, who run on to be coaches in, in the stand and under banks of laptop computers. Yeah. And I always make a, a joke about this. I said, they're, they're not on Bet365, I promise you. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, actually, they're actually getting live data from the pitch and all this stuff. And technology in sports, Spencer, is, is huge. And it's, it's fundamentally led by Formula One. I mean, I've right. enough to, to be quite close to a lot of the Formula One teams, but especially the Mercedes team. Um, Toto Wolf and Lewis Hamilton down there. I mean, the, the technology is mind-blowing, as you can probably imagine. And most sports just piggyback on what we learned from Formula One. Right. The thing with, with the technology is, is Lewis Hamilton. 
he's 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 like the Martin Johnson. He's he's totally involved in it. He doesn't. He's just not just a great driver. He gets involved in all the technology, the data, you know, and and that's why he's the world's best driver. And that's because they they totally involved the whole team. And it's not just technology. It's just not for kind of geeks or people who build engines. You know, he knows every rattle, every bolt on the on the on the car. But it's all technology based, so you can't go away from it. And I, I'd say to anybody, no matter how old you are, don't leave the technology world behind. You know, really get involved in it and use your experience to understand what, what what's going what's going on. So, you know, I, I just believe whoever wins in IT tends to win, and it applies just as much to sport as it applies to any any business. I can't think of a sport that's not a, a, a player or an athlete will not will not gain from actually having real knowledge of how to use the the technology and analyze the various data that, that, you, that you can get these days. Yeah. Uh, we'll come on to a question in a minute about um, or, or, or you know, some, some of the stuff we've, we've implemented at EMG, that you, the, the terminology you use and things like that. But one that's sprung to mind there is you, you often talk about uh, rocks and sponges. And I guess what, what you're also finding out about the players there, what, what, are they sponges? Do they want to learn new things? And, and the IT bit or the laptop bit could have been, almost been slightly irrelevant. It was, Actually, the fact that they're using it shows me that they want to learn and get better all the time. And that on its own is a really useful thing to know, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I use that term. I use it all the time, sponges and rocks. And, and you're never one thing or another. You know, a sponge is someone who's got the ability to learn, the ability to take on knowledge, a, bit, a bit of passion for, 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 for learning. And a rock is somebody who's like the opposite. It tends to be you've, you've been in the company or the, the team a long time. Uh, and, and in my sporting language, you become sort of uncoachable, a bit of a know-it-all. Yeah, um, and you, and you're looking for that, and the, the IT allowed me to actually look at very quickly at which players wanted to do this. And I said there were some casualties; I'll never name them, but there were some very talented players who fundamentally didn't want to learn technology. Yeah. They didn't want to take advantage of what we're offering them, and they had to go. There was this wasn't kind of a you know a nice to, nice to have. This was a line in the sand, and what I was trying to find out really quickly were who are the sponges, who are the rocks, who who, yeah. who, who, who are the capacity to take on new knowledge. And again, I can't I can't stress the importance of the leadership in terms of the of the players, the senior players, Johnson, Delalio, these guys. I really took took this on board. And you know, once you got those sort of people doing this, everyone just cracked on with it basically, and allowed me to take the team to a whole, whole new level. But, but yeah, I can I can yeah, I don't think we would have got to the level we've got unless the players are really engaged in in the actual whole process of coaching and uh, of, you know actually analysing the the data and the technology themselves. So it's become a real two-way process, you know. Yeah. As I said, there were some casualties. I'll never name them, but, you know, I was like, fine, look, if that's what you think, good, good luck, and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and, and another uh, Clive terminology that we, we've stolen and we use in the business is teacup thinking, and we talk about a lot of it. And, and for those of you that don't know, it's thinking correctly under pressure. But can you tell me how... When, when, you, when you're trying to think like that all the time and you're trying to prepare for every eventuality, how do you not sort of become overloaded with things that might happen that are such a small percentage? You know, where do you draw the line on that? I think, first of all, Spencer, I, yeah, I take it as a great compliment. You've not stolen it or pinched it from me. <laughs> I, I stole it or pinched it from somebody else. With this, this saying, teacup, um, came from a guy called Yudar Shanir, um, who was this kind of uh, amazing guy from... Israel, you know, I, I met him by luck. He, he was an ex-member um, um, of the Israeli Armed Forces. He, he's a pilot. Yeah. He, he moved into this area of, of, of how you think under pressure. And I heard about him and me, me being the, you know, prime myself and being a sponge. Next thing I'm on, a, I'm on a plane to Tel Aviv. 
I've never met this guy in my life before, but I just flew straight out of the sea and we heard about this. And he was awesome. This guy is just big time. Um, you know, and you can imagine when you think about pressure, if you're part of the, the, the Israeli armed forces, you, you know, these guys are, you know, absolutely top of their game. You know what I'm saying? So, but he, he started talking about this concept called um, seat up, which was correctly thinking under pressure. Right. So he's going through all this with me. And I just shifted the words around a bit. Yeah. So actually, you could make it teacup, which is a very English word. He looked at me horrified. <laughs> you can't call my seat up philosophy teacup. Yeah. I go, Look, okay, you, you can, you can. He said, no, it's got to be correctly thinking under pressure. I said, no, no, thinking correctly under pressure. Teacup is a great thing. So we and we had a real laugh about that. So I, I got it all from him, and that, that's you know, and, and he was just just went through the, the Israeli armed forces. How yeah. much? How much? store they put on you know this training of how you think correctly under pressure or how you correctly think under pressure and the keyword is is correctly and, and basically what, what you're trying to do is what, what he what he proved was if, if you can kind of you know kind of plan for situations your scenarios and you plan for what's going to happen if it then happens in the real life you know there's a very high chance you'll then think correctly under pressure yeah if, you, if you're not planned for this or thought about what would i do if this was to happen um, there's a very high chance you won't think correctly under pressure. So to, to answer your question, I don't think you can ever get overloaded by this. What, what, what you can't do is, is, is you've got to just go softly, softly. So if you go through these scenarios of, of your business or your sports team, just just kind of do one a week, one, 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 one every couple of weeks, and what would we do, what would we do? And you start to document and keep this stuff. And eventually you'll find over a year, you've got a whole library of yeah. key situations where you're saying, right, if this was to happen, in the future we know we know what to do we've, we've handled it and then if something happens that you've not thought about what would i do um he, he proves that because your mind's used to thinking this way there's a chance you'll still make the, a better decision because you're used to thinking correctly under pressure in other words you're used to kind of anticipating the future and when you think about you know he's, he's very very clear i've learned this not from him but also from what I, I i did a lot of work with the royal marines you know they and and, and, you, and you'd are back this up totally he said you know yeah War, especially, is just a series of cock-ups. It never happens the way it's supposed to. Yeah, you can have Plan A and Plan B, but you know, unfortunately, the the bad guys are there to actually disrupt Plan A and Plan B. So it's how you react to pressure situations that allow you to survive and win, and how you train for that. And I saw that with the Royal Marines. I saw that with Yudar Shanir when I went to Tel Aviv to meet me with him. And it's it's you know and. When you think of the, you know, the Royal Marines, Spence, the, the average age of a Royal Marine officer who would, you know, one of the best fighting forces in the world uh, is just over 21 years old. Yeah. So it's not about getting experience. You can learn this stuff in the, in the, in the classroom, on the, on the training fields, because, you know, the average age is 21 years old. And these are guys who are going in to, to, to war for us, to, to keep us safe. And, you know, but it's all about training and trying to predict what's going to happen in, in these situations. And that is so important in business and, and, and sport. So, you know, we spend a huge amount of time on this in terms of the, the rugby team, especially in trying to just talk through in classroom situations. What would we do if this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens? And what, what the Marines taught us really clearly. And again, the players are awesome at picking this up. They say, look, when you cross that line at Twickenham or in Australia at the World Cup final, when you cross that line, it's nil-nil. The only thing that matters is in 80 minutes time, when you come off that field, you've got more points than them. Yeah, you've got to do anything humanly possible within the laws of the game to make to make that happen. And it's a very powerful message because we get so hung up with all this stuff 
But anything happens during the game, you've got to act, act better than the opposition. You've got to think better correctly under pressure than any, any anybody else. The World Cup final is a great example. We we didn't play that well in the World Cup final in terms of you know the, the kind of the, the 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 standards we set ourselves. But we handled all the pressure situations really really well, especially yeah. the last the last minute when we needed mm. three points to win. We knew exactly what was going on, um, and and the team handled the whole pressure situation. And at the end of the day, we we walked off the pitch with more points than them. Yeah, and that's all all anyone remembers. Yeah, no, fantastic, and and. Continuing on this theme of, of, of buzzwords, if you like, we, you know, people often use the word or the words marginal gains these days, and it's often talked about and, and, and the great impact it can have on overall results. But but I remember reading your book, Winning, um, way back 10 years ago now, or, or maybe even more, and you talked about critical non-essentials. And, and to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's about breaking things down into 100 parts and looking to make that 1% improvement in each area. And, and, and I see both of them as very similar. Do you, do you think that's still the best way to improve a, a team or a business? Yeah, I've got to give you the background to marginal gains because the um, after I left rugby, you know, which, which for, for various reasons, um, you know, I got this great job with Team GB. Um, yeah. The sport for Team GB. And uh, one of the first person, the first person to ring me was a guy called Dave Brailsford. Yeah. Now Sir Dave Brailsford. You know, one of the best all-time coaches, you know, taken cycling to a whole new level. So Brailsford rang me, which only he would do, and say, look, you know, great, you've got this job, can, can we meet? And I kind of went to see him and, you know, did a bit what we speak about now. I just talked to him about, you know, what, I was, what I've what I've learned and all this stuff. And I took him through, you know, and my saying was, you know, I think the success of the rugby team was about not one big thing. It's about doing 100 things 1% better. And as we're looking at all the real detail, all the, every bit of detail, you know, and just a one percenters, or, or another term we use is critical non-essentials. In other words, they're, they're critical but not essential. So they're just the small things. You know, it doesn't mean we won the World Cup because of that one thing. We won it because there's a hundred things one one percent better. Yeah. So he's listening to all this stuff, and he's going, "Look, this is brilliant. This is great. All this stuff." But I, I can't call it hundred things one percent better because that, that's that's the term you use, or I can't call it CNEs, critical non-essentials. Yeah. That's, that's the term you use. And anyway, he rang me about a week later. So I've, I've got it. We're going to call it marginal gains. <laughs> and I'm, I started laughing. I said, that'll never catch on. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous term. And he was brilliant because then I went to see him up in, you know, up in Manchester, the cycling team. And, you know, everything he looked at from the weight of a one, one bolt, can we make that 1% lighter? Yeah. He just took the whole thing and just applied the same thing and he called it marginal gains. And of course the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Up. And it makes sense. So, the marginal gains are just—it's all about detail. It's, it's about one, you know, marginal gains, hundred things one percent better, critical non-essentials, whatever you want to call them. It's the passion for detail, and and thinking, how can I make that minor change? And that one little minor change may not make the difference, but if if you do that to a hundred things, it will add up to make a big difference how you actually operate. And I've just found successful teams really understand this, you know, and it, and it is just a passion for detail. Yeah, like everything you do and, and not. You know, I also think Spencer, from a from a, a business point of view, um, what what happens in biz in business, um, uh, and I was totally guilty about this. And I'll, I'll try to explain this in, in in kind of. Um, but when I was running my small leasing finance company, you know, what what happens when you when you win the big deal? Um, the tendency, without me being too flippant, is you, you go down the pub, you celebrate. We won the big deal, great. Everything, life's great, you know. Yeah. Um, when I'm saying lose the big deal, you lose the big pitch, whatever, you know. 
and I was totally guilty about this. Everyone in Monday morning, eight o'clock, big, you know, what happened? Why did we lose it? Massive yeah. reaction. And what I learned to do was totally flip that. So in other words, you know, if you lose the big deal or the big pitch, go down the pub, have a beer, don't overreact. Yeah. When you win the big deal, everyone in Monday morning, why did we win? Yeah. Why did we win? When most importantly, how can we do it even better? How can we get marginal gains, 100 things, 1% better? What can we do better? And I see so people with far bigger emphasis on kind of fader or losing and nothing near enough um, um, credence cre- 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 given to why we won. How can we do it better? And, and the, the rugby team was great because in that four years between the two World Cups, you know, yeah. we, we won about 90% of, or 95% of our game. Yeah. So what you can then do, we then went to real detail. Why do we win? How can we do it better? Et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, and, and, and that's what we talk about. So this, this kind of marginal gains term is, is a great, is a great t- topic and it, and it works, but it's a passion for detail and it's a passion for never thinking we've cracked it because the moment you think you've cracked it, you're going to come second. To hear the rest of this great interview with Supplied Woodward, please tune in to next week's episode where we'll discuss the need for aligned values within teams. We'll offer some teamship rules for senior leaders and Clive shares some of his favourite book recommendations. So see you here again next week on EMG Gold Podcast for part two. Bye for now.